And I could stand up here and I could tell you stuff, but it might be more fun to have you hear it from some of the students themselves. And so I want to invite Coral to come and join me on the platform. Come on, Coral. Give her a big hand, everybody. Come on. Here you go, Coral. Thank you very much. Have a seat right there, my friend. Um, Coral, tell us just a little bit about yourself. Tell us uh, school, grade, all that kind of stuff. Age? Um, I'm, uh, I'm 14. I'm going to be a freshman at Aikens High School. And yeah. That's a big change. Yeah. Yeah, that's exciting. Okay. Um, and what do you like to do? Coral, tell us a little bit about yourself. What are your um, hobbies, likes? I like to play volleyball and I love acting. I've always been into that. I love that. That's great. Okay. Um, well, tell us a little bit about your camp experience. What did Jesus do in you? So at camp, it was the first time in my life that I felt the Holy Spirit inside of me. And, uh, and for a lot of TAG students, that's a big deal because we're the next generation and we need that. We need that to become leaders and we need that to become you know, pastors and we need to lead this the next generation and generation on. So to have the Holy Spirit inside of you with that, that's amazing. So I felt it for the first time. And then about a day after, the day after that night, we were talking about what we wanted our mission to be once we left camp. So once we left camp, we didn't want all that worship and all that like experiences to just stop there because that's not the only place we can feel the Holy Spirit. That's not the only place we can be worshiping and crying for God. That's not the only place because God is everywhere in your life and that's where it needs to be. So they were trying to just get in that into our head and he, they were asking, what's your mission? Like, what, do, ask God what you want, what he wants you to do. So I asked him, already knowing the answer, and he told me, spread the word of God and don't be afraid of judgment. And he'd been telling me that for about two to three months because I've always been afraid of, you know, being a Christian leader because at school, especially public schools, you don't really walk in the hallways like, yeah, Genesis, yeah, <laughs> Romans. Like, you're not really considered popular if you do that. Yeah, I mean, that's you the best strategy. You I, agree. Be, I agree. But, you know, like, I mean, I plan to do that, but, like, <laughs> you know, so... I didn't, I was always afraid of like what my friends would think of me. Like I, they'd be crying and they'd be like, well, Jesus said, and they'll be like, cool, shut up with Jesus. Like I didn't want them to do that. So, um, I was just always afraid of spreading the word, but I always wanted to, but I would always tell God, I'm not ready. Give me something else. I'm not ready. I don't want to do this. So I heard it again and all the leaders were up at the front. So whenever you got your mission, you would go and they would pray for you. And I was waiting for Erin. She was like the leader I wanted to go to, and she took a really long time with the person she was with. So I was the last one up there, <laughs> and everyone was already like back in their seats. And Brent was just talking to everyone while she was praying over me. And she told me, Coral, I know you're, I know you're scared, but so was I at your age. Like it's gonna be okay. And you, I see you being so big and success, successful in life, but you just can't be afraid anymore. So she started praying over me. And while she was praying over me, I got a vision in my head. And I was looking at the room from the front door. So it was as if I was just standing over there at the front door and I could see everyone. And I was really confused. I was like, oh, God, what are you doing? Like, what's up? I'm trying to listen to Aaron and I can't focus. And, and he, I just was like trying to look at the vision and then I see this like ball of fire enter the room and spin around and keep on spinning. And I'm like all confused. I don't know what's going on, but I just go with it. 
And then I see it split up and go into different people, like land on them and like go inside of them. And that's what happened in Acts 2, verse 1 through 4, which I have on my phone, but I can't find. Okay. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And that's what I saw. I saw that ball of fire split up and land into different students that I know that I talk to on a daily basis. And I was so confused. So then... As soon as that vision ends, I start hearing thoughts in my head as in like, okay, so when am I going to fall? And I'm really confused. I'm like, fall? What? And it like, there's like two sides of my brain. Like one's like, what are you talking about? The other one's okay, so um, Aaron's saying this right now, but you're going to fall after this. And I was like, what? So then I hear her ending and I just like, mm, something takes like over me and I see that ball of fire go into me. And I'm like, what? <laughs> but I feel it going through my veins from my shoulder to my fingertips to my toes everywhere, filling me up. And I don't know what it is, but I like it. I like the feeling of it. It's, I don't know what it is. It was like tingly, but I liked it. So I'm getting filled with this mysterious fire. And then when she ends her prayer, I have no control over my body anymore. And I fall to the ground really hard. And my phone was in my back pocket and it kind of hurt. And then like I have my Jesus sandals on and they just like hit the ground really hard. And I just hear everyone go, oh! and I'm like on the ground. And as soon as I hit the ground, I start bawling really hard. And I don't know why. And then Aaron, like a couple leaders are like, oh my God, is she okay? And like holding my head so I didn't like crack my head open in the middle of the floor. And Aaron just says, she's fine. Let me get her. And she starts praying over me. And then I hear her speaking in gibberish in my ear, like in tongues. I have no idea what she's saying. And it's kind of weirding me out. And I'm just like, okay. And I'm still bawling. But then she does it for a little while and I stop crying. And it was soothing. Like, I don't know what it was. I don't know what she was saying. I don't know if it was something weird or something normal. But it was so soothing. And it made me stop crying. And it was like, if you're singing to a baby, like the baby doesn't know what you're singing but it's gonna stop crying because it's music to their ears. That's what I felt with that prayer language. And I stopped crying and then when I like popped back into reality, I looked at her and had a cup of water because I was like really dehydrated. I was like, I have no idea what you were just saying, but it was so soothing. She was like, that was my prayer language. Like Brent's about to talk about that. So he starts talking about it and I'm still like going in and out of like reality. I am so in shock. And then I look around and all the people that I saw in my vision get that ball of fire are on the floor getting their prayer language or crying behind me or just worshiping really hard. My, I have a person in tag who he's like my idol. He's my role model. I've always looked up to him. He was getting his prayer language. And I just started bawling when I saw that. I was like, that's, that's like, this is the feeling I want to feel 100% 24-7 every day. And that's why I need God in my life. I love that. Stay right here. So, <laughs> so some of you from different traditions are like, what are we into here? Um, 
And we did have a really powerful experience with the Spirit of God on Saturday night where we invited him to come. We don't have time to talk through all of that today. If you're curious more about that, go back a week uh, on onechapel.com and look at the message from last week. We talked about some of this actually. And uh, you might find it interesting and helpful to you. Um, But the Holy Spirit wants to interact. And sometimes when he does interact with us, you can't exactly control. When an almighty God comes and inhabits a a tiny little human, you can't always say that it's going to look like you want it to look. Um, and that's kind of experience that so many students have. So, uh, so let me just give you a quick picture about the, the camp. We started on the first night, and it's called Unbound, and we started with this idea of breaking all the bonds that are in your life. And those of us who have lived a certain number of years, you know that there are things, decisions, mistakes, circumstances that happen to us that cause us to find uh, ourselves in chains from time to time. We carry baggage or weight around with us. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So when you're teenagers, it's pretty great because it's not real firm yet, and you can work with that. It's not so ingrained as it is in some of us, and it takes a little more work. So we were praying over that and experienced great freedom that first night, and that launched us into a journey of, um, into the next nights and days of not just, not just thinking about freedom and, and what, you're, what you're released from, but talking about what you're bound to. Because bound is not necessarily a bad word. It just means the most important thing is what are you bound to? Who are you bound to? And so we talked about being united in Christ and the strength you have from that. And that launched us into mission and purpose. And so that's kind of what Coral is talking about here. So Coral, how have you changed from that, that experience to today? What's different? I look at the world like so much. I appreciate every little thing so much. I look at the trees and I really think like we're blessed to have this. We are so focused like on phones and social media that we don't really look around and appreciate what's given to us. And every day I just, I, every time before, every day before I go to sleep, (laughs) I read my Bible and I just look for scriptures that help me throughout the day that I can just take out my phone if my friend is crying and I can just read something to her about if she just lost someone in her family or if they're going through divorce or drama with their friends, like I can just read something and that makes me feel like a good person. It makes me feel like I'm actually doing something good in my life and I want to be successful in my life. I, I don't know about you guys, but I do. And this makes me, this is leading me the right way. So that's how I'm That's great. I love that. Thank you, Coral, very much. Appreciate you. Love you. (laughs) Everybody, I want you to welcome my friend, Ben. Would you please give him a big round of applause? There you go, buddy. Ben, tell us a little bit about yourself, age, grade, school. Uh, I'm 16. I'm homeschooled. Uh, Yeah. Okay, and, and Ben, what do you do? What do you like? What are you, what are you into? Uh, I'm a big runner. I ran my first marathon this past February, and I plan on running another one this coming year. So. That's fantastic. That's a big deal. That's, we all admire you, and I don't want to be you at all. So um, tell us what happened to you. All right, so the whole theme of the camp was unbound, right? So having our chains broken. And I kind of went into the camp like, all right, God, I'm ready. Like, unchain me. Um, <laughs> not really going anything with anything specific. So the first night at camp, I don't really feel anything. I was just kind of kind of numb. I wasn't really feeling Jesus, which kind of freaked me out because I'm at tag camp, but I'm not really feeling the Holy Spirit. Um, so I was kind of praying about it and talking to some people, and I kind of came to the realization that I might not have some big chain or some big weight that's on me, but a lot of people here do, and I need to help them. Uh, so the second night, I went... Uh, when they have the big line of leaders up front, like, hey, if you need something, come up here and pray. Uh, I stood on that line for the first time, and 
it was just like, it felt so fulfilling having people come up to you with their issues and what's going on in their life and you can pray for them and you can speak into them. And it was just, I got filled with the spirit which I was lacking the night before that. I was like, yeah, this is, this is where I'm supposed to be. Uh, and then the last night we were doing uh, prayer language and being filled with like Holy Spirit and all of that. Um, and it was just, there's people who want their prayer languages and then you go and you pray for them and they get their prayer language like right in front of you. And it's just a wild stuff to see. Uh, and then also at Tag Camp the second morning, I had an opportunity to give a short message. It was 10 minutes. Uh, I talked about when things don't necessarily go your way and how your will doesn't necessarily align with that of God's. Uh, kind of the scripture that I used for it was Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So that's why I kind of built it on that. No matter what happens in our life, if we are steadfast and we're, if we're devoted to God, then things are going to be all right, and we can work through whatever happens to us. Uh, yeah. That's really good, Ben. So what I love about this story is, um, is I think it shows maturity. <laughs> Instead of looking for the feelings, which is not the point, the point is not to look for the weird or the feeling or the vibe, the point is to look to him. And Ben did that and experienced purpose and calling and mission for his life and service to others. And um, I got to tell you, that morning when he spoke, he and another student spoke, it really ministered to me in a great way. And so I'm so proud of them. It's so great. Would you give them a big hand, please? All of them love you. Thank you. Good job. Can you get those? So for the next few moments before we close, I just want to talk to you a little bit about uh, the next generation and about our church and about um, who I think we are called to be as it relates to them. Because I have a question for you. I, when, when we talk about them, when we say the words next generation, what comes to mind for you? Like when I say the word millennials, what happens? There's a little bit of groaning, some groaning in the room, some uncomfortableness. If I say millennials or Generation Z, or, we all have different things that immediately pop up. Some of those things are positive, love them, have hope for them, have faith for them, uh, purpose in their generation. Uh, other things that come up are real negative. Um, oh, God, help us when they're all in charge. <laughs> You're laughing because you've thought that from time to time. And we are, we're concerned about them. Uh, we've got concerns about their future and of course our future. And it seems like when I look around, most of what I see about the communication of them is negative. Everywhere you go, people say millennials. It, it, seems, it seems to lean negative. Uh, and that's the last time I'm going to call you that. I understand you don't like being labeled. I get it. I'm a Gen Xer. I hated being labeled too. See how much friends we are? It's great. So, so when we look at the next generation, we do have concerns. And, and, and sure, sure some, some of them are warranted, right? We're concerned about their, uh, their morality. We're concerned about their habits and lifestyles. We're concerned about their work ethic. We're concerned about their strength. We call them precious little snowflakes, and that's real encouraging to call somebody. Um, we're, we're especially concerned about their use of technology and social media and always buried in their phone. And don't get us started on texting. The texting, always texting, even somebody right in the room, right next to you, they're texting. And they're ruining the English language as they're texting, <laughs> completely abandoning it. What's with the abbreviations? What's with the emojis? What's with all this stuff? You're ruining my English language, right? That's what some of us think. In fact, on that subject, let me read you this quote from a popular and concerned author. 
He says, the total neglect of this art has been productive of the worst consequences. The wretched state of elocution is apparent to persons of any discernment and taste. If something is not done to stop this growing evil, English is likely to become a mere jargon, which everyone may pronounce as he pleases. (laughs) Sounds like some of our sentiments today, doesn't it? It's weird to me though, because this paragraph was written in the year 1780 a long time ago, by Thomas Sheridan in a preface to a general dictionary of the English language. The truth is, is that every generation has massive concern about the next generation. Always. Historians, psychologists, sociologists, scholars, they've repeatedly documented this cycle, this generational clash that happens. And it happens over and over and over again, and the paranoia that often accompanies it. In fact, there's a sociologist named David Finkler. He refers to this phenomena as juvenoia, as in we all have a severe case of juvenoia. We're concerned about them. And we, you and I, we as the parents, the grandparents, the older ones, those of us who are raising the banner of saying, we must cleanse this generation of their ills and shortcomings. All of us, we have forgotten the attacks that we've survived as we were growing up. And if you think back, you'll realize what was said about your generation. We've just forgotten. And that's what leads us to the things like, in my day, right? (coughs) That one hurt me. (coughs) (coughs) It's hard to be grumpy, but you've heard it. In my day, we, we had to walk to school barefoot in the snow. Uphill. Yeah, you know it. And we liked it. That's, that's how it goes. So George Orwell, he said this, uh, the author, he said, every generation imagines itself to be more intelligent than the one that went before it and wiser than the one that comes after it. And if you think about it, that's probably somewhat <clears throat> how you see yourself. The problem is, I think, these concerns, these fears, these things that we hold on to, they affect the way that we treat young people. It causes us to treat them with great concern. It causes us sometimes to look down on them. And in many cases, it, it, it causes us to just avoid them. I just, I don't want anything to do with it. God help them, Godspeed, good luck. I don't want anything to do with that. The, the problem I think is, if we don't support them, if we don't open our arms to them, if we don't welcome and embrace them, who's gonna do that? How are they going to become the people of God that he has purposed for them to be unless you and I decide that we're going to engage no matter what the mess, we're gonna welcome and embrace them and we're gonna take care of them. We're gonna join with them. We're gonna coach them. We're gonna welcome them to the table. We're gonna help them. Nobody else is coming to do that job. Have you ever, did you ever get lost when you were a kid? Have you had that experience? Lots of, lots of people have had that. I, that didn't really happen to me. I do remember a time uh, several years ago before I had kids, we were on vacation and we were at SeaWorld. Uh, don't judge me. I was mad the whole time. I was picketing the whole time. It was terrible. But we were at SeaWorld and we were, we were you know, going to all the, all the events and all the shows and went to the Shamu show and, and don't get mad. I was booing, animal cruelty, boo, the whole time. But, um, we, were <laughs> but we, were, we finished the show and we walked out and there's thousands of people exiting the arena. And as they're exiting the arena, little Zachary Parsley, he got lost. 
And so Ross was with some of the family members and Amy was with some of the family members and we were all around, but there's so many people, you just couldn't see everybody and nobody knew where Zachary was. So everybody's looking and we're making frantic phone calls and we're so nervous and freaking out and people are starting to panic and tears are coming and we don't know, where's Zachary? Well, it turns out he was with another family member the whole time. He didn't even get lost. They just didn't have a phone and we couldn't reach them. And so it was okay. Somebody, they brought him to his mom, Amy, presented him to his mom. She laid into him. (laughs) Where were you? Don't you ever, you know how that goes sometimes when you're scared. But it was a terrifying experience. And you, some of you have experienced something like that. Jesus had one of those experiences in Luke chapter two. In Luke chapter two, verse 41, we read, every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. And then he began, then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? She laid into him. Why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. This is the only account that we have of Jesus as a child or a preteen in scripture. Imagine being the ones that were responsible to be Jesus' parents. Imagine you are the parents of God and you're doing the best you can with God. You're trying to raise him well. You're trying to help him become a good Jewish man as you're supposed to. That's why you're traveling to Jerusalem. You're doing all the things that you should and then you lose him. Congratulations, you've lost God. I mean, the fear and frustration of that moment. You can imagine Joseph and Mary, you can imagine them fighting and bickering in their panic. And Mary saying, this kind of irresponsibility comes from your side of the family, Joseph. And Joseph's like, hey man, I got nothing to do with it. You know, I'm, <laughs> there it is, it's there, it's there. But here's what could happen as they're traveling. You know, you've got Jesus extended family and they're traveling with them. And so you, you likely have, it's not like today. They're not in cars, they're, they're walking. There's probably animals. There's probably wagons. There's all kinds of stuff in this big caravan. Uh, you know, maybe United actually isn't that bad. <laughs> maybe it is. So, so you've got this big caravan and you've probably got the men together and you've probably got the women together and the children could run back and forth to the two groups. So it'd be really easy for them to not realize that Jesus actually isn't there. After a full day of travel, they realize that Jesus isn't here. Have you ever done that? Have you ever left your kid somewhere? (laughs) Is that my dad? (laughs) Papa? Have you ever had that experience? I mean, it's terrifying. You can imagine, you can imagine uh, Mary just, just so concerned and panicked. You can imagine Joseph probably panicked. I don't know, sometimes men are more like, well, it's good for him, builds character. But, <laughs> but they're, they're having this panic moment, searching frantically for three days, three days. They're looking everywhere for the young Jesus. And that raises an important question for me. Who was taking care of Jesus? He's 12 years old. Where did he sleep those three days? Who took care of him? Who made sure that he was safe during those three days? 
Who fed this 12-year-old boy? If you've ever been responsible for feeding a 12-year-old boy, you know this is not an easy task. And we already know that Jesus' first miracle was at the wedding in Cana. And so he was not in a back alley somewhere by himself, like multiplying loaves and fishes. That wasn't happening. Who took care of this young Jesus? What's implied in the passage is that the community stepped in. They stepped in for a boy that they didn't know. They saw a young Jesus and they welcomed him to their table. And they listened to him and they talked with him and they fed him. And by the time his parents caught up to him, he was amazing everybody with these questions and answers. I wonder if the experience of young people in our church is like Jesus' experience. I wonder if when young people come to our church, if they feel welcomed, if they feel known, if they feel like they belong, if they feel like they have a spot, if they feel like they're heard. Not only kids and teenagers, what about, what about young adults? What about single people? What about different ethnic groups? What about people that are new to the community? What about those people who don't look like us or talk like us or act like us or believe like us? What about them? Oftentimes what happens in churches is the young people, they, they feel segregated because we take them out and we put them somewhere else. We put them, we send them off to the kids' table for you to go do your things because the adults want to have their service. We want to study our hymnals, have our worship time unencumbered. And so you kids go do your classrooms and go sniff glue. <laughs> that was terrible. <laughs> no, don't do that. <laughs> that's, that's, strike that. <laughs> but that's what we do. And we give into the consumerism of, of uh, our culture to where we, we want to try to give everybody just what they want. And everybody, I don't think that's the picture of the church. The picture of the church is not that. The picture of the church is more like a family. It's no secret that people are leaving the church as they grow older, right? When young people get older, it's well documented that they're taking off from the church. And there's widespread panic about that. And it is a serious issue. It is actually more nuanced than most of the stats give it credit for. Uh, but, but, but no doubt they are leaving. And, and many churches, though, in the midst of all of that, they are taking action to grow younger because churches grow old all by themselves. They don't need any help. If we don't reach back, if we don't help, if we don't coach, if we don't welcome them to the table, we can all just grow old peacefully, ride off into the sunset, and that will be the end of this church. But that's not what we want. We want for ministry to happen decades from now from one chapel in Austin. And in order for that to happen, we have to welcome the next generation to our table. So I just want you to decide with me today that we will welcome them to the table. We'll do it. We'll, we'll pay the price. We'll, we'll do it. Fuller Youth Institute recently released a bunch of information, a bunch of research that they've done with thousands of young people, aged 15 to 29, on what they're looking for out of a church. And not just that, but what churches are doing to reach young people in that age group. Because many of them are doing it, and they've realized that there are about six traits or characteristics of churches that are what they call growing young. And I'm not gonna talk about all those today, and I'm not talking about being consumer-driven. I'm talking about becoming the people of God that can take care of these young people in our church. So I'm not gonna talk about all those traits today, but I wanna hit one today that I think is really important for our church. Because most of us will probably assume that what they're looking for in a church is they're looking for the cool church. They want something cool. They want the coolest lights, which we don't have. They want the densest fog, which we don't have any of. They want the coolest videos, which we kind of have, thanks Rob. 
They want the, the hippest music. They want the hipsterest pastor. They want the skinniest jeans, deepest V-necks and most infinity scarves. They want all those things. No, that's not true. They don't want any of that, in fact. What they really want is warmth. Young people aren't looking for cool church. They're looking for a warm church. That's what they want. That's what all this research has pointed to with thousands of interviews. A church that says you belong here. A, ter- a church that's willing to let them come as they are, just like they are. A church that will authentically walk with them into adulthood in the grace of God. In the Fuller Research, one of the most common descriptors they use about a church that they love and want to be a part of is like family. Like family. They use the words welcoming, accepting, belonging, hospitable, and authentic. I know that we all say, oh, we are family. We're the family of One Chapel Austin. We're family, but not many churches are willing to actually pay the price to do what's required to welcome them. And the truth is some family members don't really even want them at the table. Oh, it's so difficult. It's so much harder. I mean, they're messy. They make messes. They say weird things. They create awkward moments. They just, they, they, they ruin stuff. They ruin carpet. That's not true, actually. You guys spill coffee and ruin more carpet than they do, but whatever. That, <laughs> I got your back. I got your back. <laughs> they're messy. They're loud. They, they, sometimes they're stinky. Like they just, it's really difficult. And it requires so much energy of me to have them here. It requires so much effort from the older and more mature of us. And so what happens is churches approach them with an educational kind of a structure, an educational system where we'll send you away to class only and you don't really have a place here instead of looking at them as a loving family. And the truth is some of those things that I mentioned, it is true of them. It is more difficult. But the reality is they have much of what we need to continue to be the church that we're supposed to be in this culture. They have the passion, the vitality, the innovation, the quest for justice, rightness, righteousness. They have that within them. And many of us who have lived a lot of years and experienced a lot of life, we need some of that vitality. We need some of that energy. We need some of that life. We need to remember what passionate devotion looks like. And at the same, at the same time, they need from you, your heritage, your depth of knowledge of the scripture your massive love, your experience in the hard knocks of life and the lessons that you've learned in taking them and the faith that's grown because of it. They need the heritage of the story of your Christian faith imparted down to them. We have to have both. We have to have the heritage of our faith and the innovation for the future. We would talk about it in this way that we need the history, but we also want the mystery of the Holy Spirit among us. We need both of those things. It's the kind of community that the theologian Miroslav Volf would talk about as, as kind of drawing on the Trinity, saying we need to be the com- become a community that says, when we say we are the church, we don't just mean we meet together. When we say we are the church, we don't just mean we, we, we cooperate in current projects. When we say we are the church, we mean we're actually becoming a part of one another, really embracing one another and letting one another into our lives, even with all the mess. The Apostle Paul would talk about it in Romans 12, 5. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. Increasing warmth in our church is not just about growing young. It's good theology. It's who we're supposed to be. And not just for the next generation, but for the current generation and people who are outside of our doors, wondering, looking, questioning. And I think it gets difficult. There's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. It's challenging, it's messy, it's rough sometimes, but it's what we're called to do. 
All of us, it's our responsibility as the older generation to train and encourage and to connect our kids to the family story. Oftentimes, young people today are rootless. That, that, that because of divorce and a lack of involvement of fathers and parents, oftentimes they don't have the basis, the foundation that they need to be able to make the decisions that they need to make in life. And they don't get the guidance that they need and they won't ask for it. Not because they don't want to, but because there's nobody around that they think that they can ask. Everybody, that can't be the kind of church that we are. So we have two opportunities here. We can welcome them to the table and say, yep, come, have a seat at our table. But remember, we're in charge. We're in charge. We do it this way. The carpet looks this way. The building is this way. Churches run this way. We can do that. Or we could invite them to a table, the table in a way that, that encourages them, that encourages their innovation, that encourages and welcomes their participation actually in what we're doing. And that road is harder and that road is messier, but that's the road that we're called to. A way that embraces them, gives them opportunity to learn and to grow, encourages them, helps direct them, helps coach them throughout the course of the meal. And this is so important. It's not just important for them and the thing that their generation is looking for in a church body. But it's important for you. Because many of you are sitting here today saying, well, it was a good run. I think I'm finished now. I've done all I can do. It is time to run off into the sunset and play some golf. My purpose is done. My life is complete. That's not true. The fact that you're still breathing and air is going in and out of your lungs means that Jesus is not finished with you. And you can find great purpose and revitalization in your life by investing it into them, by sharing your heritage with them, by loving them, by caring for them, by welcoming them warmly to your table. Nothing will give you more purpose or revitalization like taking a college kid out after church and buying them lunch and just sitting down talking with them, by pouring your life into somebody else who's younger, by you sitting down with your wife or your husband and counseling a young couple as they're just getting married. Nothing will give you more purpose than that. You still have so much purpose in the church and I can show it to you. This is the kind of body that we're supposed to be. We need both. And so it's our job. The older generation, we've got to lean. We have to lean into them. And it's going to be uncomfortable. And it means we'll make some sacrifices. It means that we won't get everything we want just the way we want it. We're going to have to open ourselves up to their innovation. And just like we do that, they have to come towards us. And they have to honor us. And they have to respect. And they have to listen. All those things have to happen. But that's what a family does. Our church needs Abraham's and Isaac's and Jacob's. We have to have all of them if we're going to be the family we're called to be. We need grandmas and grandpas, middle-aged moms and dads. We need young professionals. We need teenagers. We need kids. We need all of these people together if we're truly going to be the community that we're supposed to be. And so it really makes me excited, everybody, because I want to introduce to you this one idea that I want you to remember, and it's this. Warm is the new cool. Warm is the new cool. They're not searching for the coolest stuff, thank God. They're searching for your warmth, for your embrace, for you welcoming them where they are. And the reason that excites me so much is because we can do that right now. We can up the warmth of our church immediately. You can do it today. Hey, what if we decided that one of the markers, indicators of the success of our church was going to be the warmth and embrace of the next generation. It would be so great. 
I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads. I'll go back to the question that I started with. <laughs> when I say the next generation, what creeps up in you? <laughs> Is there a disdain? Frustration? I understand that. But would you maybe today just remember how it was when you were growing up? And over the next few moments, would you allow the Holy Spirit to reach in and maybe take his warmth and his heart and place it into you? Would you along with me just make the choice today, we're gonna be a warm church. We welcome and embrace the next generation. Not in a way that says, here's what you're supposed to do, but a way that says, what do you think? And think about this, because you can make a change starting right now. Some of you have a happy gram left. I wanna encourage you to increase the warmth of our church immediately by taking that out and writing an encouraging note to a student, to a young adult. Maybe it seems a silly thing to you. It's not to them. Oh, I don't know anybody's name. It doesn't matter. Write something encouraging. Write a favorite scripture. Just write something down and just hand it to them before they leave today. What if today and every day we just decided, I'm going to say hi to every young person that I see. And beyond a passing, oh, hello, as I walk in to get my coffee, what if I decided I'm going to say, oh, hi, how are you? What's your name? What if I decided that we were all going to invest in them? Maybe not all at once, maybe not all today, because that might be scary and overwhelming. What if some of us who are older decided, some of you empty nesters, what if you decided, you know what, I'm gonna invite a college kid to lunch once or two times a month after Sunday. I'm just gonna make it a part of my life. It increase the warmth of our church so much. Some of you who feel like I'm too old, Actually, it's not true. And what you need to do is you need to go serve and tag. Oh, but that's for 21. No, it's not. That's the problem. That's what we've taught ourselves to think. When in reality, they need 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 year olds, loving, embracing, caring for them, reminding them of the heritage of their faith. Some of you think that's the craziest thing ever, but it's right for you. Talk to the team today. Say, hey, how, how can I serve and tag? Maybe it's not every week, but maybe it's once a month. I don't know. I just know that we need to fuel warm community to be the kind of church that we're supposed to be. And that's not gonna happen because of me. And that's not gonna happen because of Pastor Ross. That's gonna happen because of you. Some of you are wondering, wow, Ross is on sabbatical. So the old youth pastor is taking a shot at the church. That's not what I'm doing. In fact, you can go to amazon.com and you can look up the book, Messy Church, written by your pastor, and you will see all of this. I believe this is what God is calling us to. I believe it's the vision of your senior pastor. I think it's who we need to be. So as we close here today, I want us to just take a moment and I want us to pray. We pray with me? And I'm gonna invite all these students that are right here to come and just stand right up here in the front. Yeah, just come over. And all of you in the seats, would you stand, please? Yeah, yeah, that's good. Not too far. Ah, perfect. 
Okay, everybody wants to avoid the middle. There you go. I want you, I want you to pray for them. And, and I'd like to do it this way. I know we can't do everybody, but as representatives of our church, would some of you come down and lay hands on them and pray with them? Yeah, just come on right now. If you feel like you want to, and it's the first step towards more warmth. Yeah, let's try to get somebody with everybody. Like, yeah, we need more. It's okay if it's your son or daughter. That'd be awesome. <laughs> now that is a beautiful picture. The rest of you, would you please stretch your hands out with me and, and, and just begin to pray for them? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the next generation. Thank you for their life, their vitality, their passion, the unique way with which they look at the world. Father, we pray that you would surround them today and that you would breathe life into every single one of them and that each one would be able to understand and fulfill the purposes of God in their generation. We pray a hedge of protection around them that you would keep them safe from the schemes of the enemy. And Father, we ask that you would help them to see you, to know you, to understand you. Let their times in worship be rich and sweet and powerful. Help their knowledge of you to grow. Help their intimacy with you to grow. Grow and deepen their devotion to you, we pray in Jesus' name. And so today in these moments here as a family, we say to them, you belong here. You belong to this family. You're a part of this body of believers. You are loved. You are cared for. You are safe. You are heard. You are welcome. And we pray, God, that you would allow them to feel that and that you would breathe something new into our church family. And let this be a marker today of a new sense of warmth and community and a depth of value for the next generation in Jesus' name. We commit them to you and we thank you for this in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now we're gonna flip the script. No, you're not done, you're not done, hang on. Now I want them to lay hands on you. Because everybody, see, do you see it? This is the picture here. It is not, oh, we're gonna lay our hands on you, young child, and we're going to bless you in the name of Jesus. No, we're welcome you, welcoming you to ministry in the local church body. You have the spirit of God in you. You are welcome to use those gifts and talents. You matter, you're a minister, you're important. So now all you students, I want you to pray for them and all these people out here. Just go ahead right now. I know you know you don't you may not know exactly what to say. Ask that God would strengthen them, ask that God would bless their family. So Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray for this church family. For every man and every woman. Father, we ask that you would do a work in our hearts today that would open us up 
to the warmth of your spirit for the next generation. We pray that One Chapel Austin, One Chapel Kyle, One Chapel Lake Travis, that our hearts would be open to receive the next generation, to take on the difficulty, to take on the mess. Help us to be willing to lay some of our preferences down to engage the next generation. Father, I pray right now all over this room that you would uh, awaken ideas of warmth in our church body, that you would awaken a heart of compassion for these people, that you would awaken us with a passion for them, that you would help us, give us ideas of what we can do to, to welcome them to our homes, to welcome them to our church, to be a part of their lives. Father, I pray that even now in, th in these seats, that you would call people to discipleship of the next generation and tag students that you would prick their hearts and call them, you're the one, you're supposed to go. And I pray that you would start something new and fresh in our hearts today. Help us to be aware, help us to be in tune. Speak to us as we walk through the hallways. Help us to see them, help us to notice them and help us to say, hi, I love you, you're welcome here. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in our church. We bless you. And we praise you for all these things. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.